What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 25, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, The Gamekeeper. And you can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts. And yes, we are still on Apple Podcasts, even though we have episode numbers in our titles. Ha ha! <laughs> Take that! <laughs> and uh, yeah, when you find us, you know what to do. But if you're new, you don't know what to do, so I'll tell you what to do. What do you, you do? You rate us and review us. That's what you do. And so that helps uh, other people find our podcast, but also word of mouth helps too. So if you have a friend who likes Stargate and I almost said Star Trek, if you like to have a friend who likes Star Trek, that's okay too. They can listen to our podcast. That's right. And when they realize how wonderful of a podcast they found, Zach, how would they tell us that it's so wonderful? Well, uh, A, they can do that by rating us and reviewing us. That's one way. Oh, yes. But that is, that if is you way. want to talk to us and tell us, you know, stroke our egos a little bit, email <laughs> us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Nice. Yes. I felt like I almost Smooth. lost control of that for a I, it moment. It did. It felt like, uh, yeah, you, you had a little bit of a wiggle there yep, right in the yep. middle, but you, you, uh, you held on to it. But I did. I got there. I got there. So uh-huh. email us. <laughs> we haven't gotten any emails in a while. So uh, it's your job to send us an email and make us feel good about ourselves because without you, we are totally <laughs> lost. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know what to do with myself. Um, oh, uh, if you uh, don't want to email us, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Stargate Walking, or you can find us mm-hmm. on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Walking Through the Stargate, and we have a Facebook mm-hmm. group, Walking Through the Stargate. Uh, so find us on both of there. Uh, join the Facebook group, like us, and follow the Facebook page. Uh, I try to uh, let people know when the episodes come up and are live on Facebook. I mm-hmm. think that translates over to Twitter immediately, it does, too. It uh- Usually. Usually. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I'm a little bit slow in doing that, but I do try to get that out there so that you are aware. Uh, And uh, let's get this this party uh, growing. Let's get it going. Let's get it going. Okay. So, Brent. Yes. The Gamekeeper is directed by Martin Wood, and the story is by Jonathan Glasner and Brad Wright, and the teleplay Uh is by Jonathan Glasner. Now, this is Martin's second of five directing credits this season. We've already uh-huh. seen him uh, a couple of weeks ago in The Line of Duty. Right, uh, yes. Now, Martin Wood, not, not our Martin Wood, but a different Martin Wood, was <laughs> born on April 19, 1927, and uh-huh. he is a British engineer and entrepreneur. He co-founded Oxford Instruments, and one of his ah. first, which was one of his first spin-off companies from the University of Oxford, uh-huh. and it is still one of the most successful spin-off. Oh, good uh, for him! So yeah, he was educated at Gresham School, he at Holton Trinity College, Cambridge University, where he read engineering, and then also Imperial College London. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, Martin, in 1945, joined the coal board as a Bevan boy for his <laughs> national service. Uh, I don't really know what that is, but hey, <laughs> I'm just reading uh, Wikipedia reading words. here. So You're just reading words. Reading the words. Uh, he was working underground at the coal face, first in South Wales and then later in the Midlands. 
From 55 to 69, he was a senior research officer at the Clarendon Laboratory at the University of Oxford. And he used uh-huh. his knowledge to acquire uh, high-field magnets uh, to form Oxford instruments in 1959. Two years huh. later, new, super, new superconductors were developed in the U.S., and he soon acquired some material and made the first superconducting magnet Outside the U.S. in 1962, it just said he acquired it. I was noticing that, too. And he doesn't specify how. <laughs> that I sounds don't know. suspicious. I'll let you imagine yeah. what was happening there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, I think there was trying to stick it to the, the, the upstart kid, which was the U.S. and the U.K., uh-huh. you know. I, I, I think there's some foul play going on there. You don't deserve that. Give no. me it. Give it to me. Give it to me. No. No. Okay. So, Oxford (laughs) Instruments has since developed three, uh, not three, these magnets for research and NMR analysis and eventually developed the whole body superconducting magnets, which made possible the development of MRI machines. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. So, that's Martin Wood. Not our Martin Wood, but it is Martin Wood. Different Martin Wood. Yep. And a different Martin Wood from last time. And indeed, indeed, uh, the story was by Jonathan Glasner and Brad Wright. Brad mm-hmm. Wright wrote the Serpent's Lair, which was, I believe, the first episode of this season. And of mm-hmm. course, both have several other credits uh, throughout season two uh, and beyond. Okay. But that's, that's, and, and beyond. beyond. Okay, teleplay. Jonathan Glasner. Uh, this is his first writing credit this season. Although he yeah. did direct. The Serpent Slayer. Uh, do you know, this is pop quiz now because it's not in the notes, do you know if he wrote a teleplay last season? I can't remember. Uh, I don't know, but if I look okay, up fine. here, I can find out. Teleplay, Jonathan Glasser. Mm. Yeah, he wrote one, two... Yeah, which ones? Uh, well, he co-wrote the pilot John, with yeah, Brad okay. Wright. He yeah. wrote uh, Broke a Divide. Okay. He wrote... The te- he was the teleplay for Hathor... Yeah. And the teleplay for Within the Serpent's Grasp. Okay. All this will make sense when we get into it. Okay. Why I asked. Okay. So you have a plan. I have a plan. Okay, good. Uh, in The Gamekeeper, we do have a couple of guest actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is Robert Duncan. He played Melbourne Jackson, who was uh, Daniel's father. And the only reason I bring him up is because we'll actually see this actor again in a future episode, uh, mm-hmm. playing a completely different character. Oh, uh, he did look kind of familiar. I didn't look up his stuff, but anyway. Uh, and, and I didn't look close enough to see what all he's been in there, so uh, right. look at IMDb and find out. Uh, the other, perhaps most important guest actor of this show yes. is none yes. other than Dwight Schultz, the Keeper himself, Howling Mad Murdoch, Dwight uh, oh. Barkley, uh, uh, oh, yeah. Reginald Barkley. I'm mix, mix, mixing things up. Uh, himself, <laughs> uh, Dwight Schultz. What a great guy! So there is a, an yeah. official Dwight Schultz fan website, Good. and I can't remember what it is, but you can look it up. Uh, <laughs> is it would, not DwightSchultz.com? <laughs> uh, no, okay, fine. Now, now i got to look it I'm up. I'm looking it up, yeah. All Dwight, right. Dwight Schultz Schultz fan. Oh, oh, Dwight Schultz That's it. There it is. Netherlands? 
Isn't like the nether? Oh my! Yeah. Look um, at the header on that thing. Oh yeah. Um, there's but a Photoshop extraordinaire there. Um, oh, and there's audio coming out of my headphones over there. Um, yeah. So Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek. Uh, a team, something else, probably a team. Yeah. And just where's like his, a panel of some sort. Uh, where's, where's his? Uh, yeah. Huh. All right. This is kind of a. In any case. I will continue moving on because Brent, this yes. is boring podcasting. No, it's not. Oh. It's the best. Oh, it's the, <laughs> my mistake. Please continue. <laughs> I'll wait. Anyway, I'll wait. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm done. Oh, okay. Carry on. All right. So uh, he has, uh, Dwight Schultz has about 209 acting credits on IMDb. So he has been doing what he's been doing for a long time, and he's got tons and tons of stuff. Uh, He is a great, great character actor, and if you don't Mm -hmm. know who Dwight Schultz is, shame on you. Well, then you didn't watch this episode if you don't know who Dwight Schultz is. Uh, There's there's, there's that, too. So Uh uh, he's he's a great uh, one. Uh, Howling Mad Murdoch. Last week we were talking about what his character was on A-Team. And yeah. uh, I was informed by my wife earlier today that it was, in fact, Howling Mad Murdoch, and she uh, chastised me for not remembering that last week. So, good news. Uh, when, last night uh, last night I was talking about the beloved Dwight Schultz and how he was a character on the A-Team and in Star Trek, and uh, my girlfriend was saying, uh, <laughs> we were walking home. She was like, oh, yeah, head. And I'm like, no, not face. I made that mistake, too. And she just doubled over in laughter for not only mistaking the character, but mistaking the name of the character. But it was in the right vicinity of a person. Like, at least at least the body part was close. Yeah, I mean, it's like, hey, look, it's it's elbow. Right. right. <laughs> no, so, you know, no. it's pinky finger. It's pinky. Oh, oh OK. So, The Gamekeeper originally aired on July 17, 1998. And mm-hmm. can you guess, Brent, what was top of the charts in the U.S. on July 17, 1998? Um, was it uh, Red Red Wine? No. No? No. What was it? No. Okay. Well, if you remember from last week, Brandy and Monica were at the top of the charts. and. See, I was- uh, they are the still there with The Boy joke. Is Mine, and I still Brandy. don't know the song. Red, uh, red. Oh, you don't? No. All right, I'll have to pull some audio in. Oh, okay. You do realize that that my knowledge of pop music is almost zero? Totally fine. I forget it sometimes because my knowledge of pop culture is woefully lit. So right at this era, I was thinking that I cared about popular culture. Uh So I was paying attention more. Before this era, I was living in a state where, not like as in a state in the union, but just a a, a state, state of, of being mind. where, yeah, where um, being aware of popular culture was was less good. Um, and then afterwards, I kind of stopped having the ability or care to to keep up. <laughs> so it's this really narrow window, and we're right in it right now. Yep. So all right, 
Um, so The Boy is Mine by Brandy and Monica is at the mm-hmm. top of the U.S. In the U.K., it is Freak Me by Another Level. So I don't know that song either, which uh, means... But before we get into it, Zach... Oh, yes. I did pull audio from Billy's Because uh, We Want To. Uh-huh. Because We Want To, which was last week's thing. Yes. Uh, how I do that is I usually pull up uh, audio from the music video. Right. And... I think I got to get on the Twitter feed and tweet out the the the, the link to the YouTube video. It's hilarious Ooh. because so she uh, debuted as Rose Tyler in what two thousand one was that when the reboot of Doctor Who happened? Uh, I don't right remember. What, I, I don't think two thousand one is right. So uh, early two thousands for yeah. sure. And this video came out in ninety eight. Um, the best way to describe it is that in the video. She's the alien coming down to the streets of an English town. I was presuming it was London and turning inanimate objects into animate objects. You got to see it. Wow. It's like foreshadowing in the opposite direction. It's hilarious. (laughs) All right. Uh, So, Brent, your job uh, is not only to post that onto Twitter, but also to post it onto probably the Facebook group. Uh, I know. Or if, if... I'll give you an out. You can (laughs) email me the link, (laughs) and I'll do it for you. Uh, I could do it. Okay. Fine. But uh, there's that. But now, Zach, we get to dance without having any idea about what the song is. About uh, We get to dance to Freak Me by another level. You ready? Okay. Okay. So, and here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Dancing, and I'm grooving. We oh, there's an interesting uh, chord change right there. Oh, oh yeah, 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 that was really sophisticated. Yeah. Oh, freak me! Oh my god! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! No, wait, wait, yeah, I don't know. All right, (laughs) all right, let's fade it out. So, so okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah, fade that out. That's probably good. We don't want to get charged or anything. We can't afford that, Brent. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Oh, too much fun. All right. So on July 17th in that weekend uh, in the box office, number Mm -hmm. one was The Mask of Zorro. Oh, Antonio Banderas, uh, Anthony Hopkins, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. I remembered that off the top of my head. I didn't even have to look that up. Oh, who was in The Mask of Zorro? Oh, nice. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I I feel a little bad, but you know, nah. Lethal Weapon four uh, was number two. Armageddon yep. dropped to, dropped to three. And I don't want to miss a thing. I'm telling you, it's coming. It's gonna be. It, we're gonna end up talking about it as a number one song here pretty soon. I can just feel it. I don't know that for a fact. It could be wrong. Okay. Well, just saying. We'll, we'll we'll find out. Number yeah. four is there's something about Mary. Oh yeah. And number five yeah. is Doctor Doolittle. Number, you know, there's something mm-hmm. about Mary. You know, that was such a popular movie at that point in time. It was sure really was. big. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I've still never seen it. Uh, I have seen it in shreds uh, over time. It's one of those things that I'm pretty sure I've seen the whole movie in bits as it's been playing on television sure. over the many years. Yep. I have never sat down and watched it start to finish. Yeah. I have certainly seen pieces of it. Uh, but by no means have I seen even, I'm not even like you, I haven't even seen all of it in pieces like that. <laughs> so, 
it's July. Somebody out there is just yelling at their audio player right now. You haven't seen there's a- yep, nope, we haven't yep. seen it. Well, like I said, my pop culture knowledge is <laughs> I mean movies, I'm a little bit better with movies uh uh-huh. than than with music, but okay. So what happened on July seventeenth? Uh not a whole lot. July nineteen ninety eight was kind of a quiet uh, time uh, on the seventeenth, though Russia does finally bury Tsar Nicholas II and his family, eighty years after they died. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I can remember that quite vividly, but I do remember vaguely when you know the remains were found and when there was you know like they they gave it. A, yeah. I think it was a state funeral. I think they did it uh, you know, properly. So. Yeah. Um, also on the seventeenth, Felipe Juan. Roland de a Spanish royal what did something oh my goodness is it his birthday I don't know maybe uh but did he die I I you know uh, my show notes just stopped <laughs> <laughs> and I have his name and then he's a Spanish royal so there's a Spanish royal and and his something happens is, we can't pronounce yeah, I mean, something happened, and something, something happens. So that's exciting, Brent. Something sure is. <laughs> happened on July seventeenth to Felipe. So if you want to know, look it up. It, it's it's yeah. amazing. Um, also, then, uh, well, one day later on the eighteenth, Nelson Mandela marries his third wife. Presumably not the third wife at the same time, but the you know. <laughs> Uh, her name is Gracha Machel. I can't pronounce that. But it was on his 80th birthday uh, when he got married. Birthday. So happy birthday, Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Um, so that's what happened. Yes. On yes. This t- at this time. Uh, trivia: D- Dwight Schultz plays the keeper. Of course, he's mm-hmm. the master of virtual reality environment. In the mm-hmm. show, he also played Lieutenant Barkley on Star Trek: The Next Generation, who was a character addicted to virtual reality of mm-hmm. the holodeck, uh, and that's mm-hmm. just kind of a fun little tidbit. Um, yep. Hammond calls the planet P seven eight nine J nine, and Tilt calls the planet PJ seven nine eight nine. So you can decide which one is which. Uh, it, it, we will officially declare it PJ7989 because that's what's in the notes later on. Ah, well, there you go. Uh, there you the go. domed structure that we see in it is actually the, the, uh, Bloedel Floral Conservatory in Vancouver, in, uh, Queen mm-hmm. Elizabeth Park, Vancouver. Yep. Cool. Um, uh, interestingly, cool uh, Daniel looks at this and he says, oh, it looks pretty advanced, but it's also a 30 year old dome. <laughs> yeah, we like to think that geodesic domes are pretty advanced looking, yeah. even still. Oh, okay. like, we're just like, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, on uh, this, let's see, in this park, in this conservatory, uh, it's been used for filming all over the place. It was on Battlestar Galactica, it was in Fringe, mm. Andromeda, in Supergirl, and others. Mm-hmm. And, well, it is a very advanced looking building. Well, yes, naturally. I, I think it was uh, <laughs> the the... Yeah, anyway, I was thinking about Battlestar Galactica. It was that one building that looked all conservatory-like, or the, the, the ship that looked conservatory-like and mm-hmm. all pretty. Um, uh, the house that was used in East Germany in the 1982 mm-hmm. scenes, 
mm-hmm. uh, is actually a farm located in Langley, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also used in a later episode of SG-1. Uh, oh, nice. In uh, 2004. Uh, so we will actually see that house again. Um, uh, cool. And apparently it was also used in The Outer Limits. Hmm. And finally... Neat. What? Neat. 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 Yeah, sometimes our, our, our distance makes it hard for me to hear what you're saying. Um, yeah, I mean, we do have to... This 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 tin can and string, I mean, it's pretty impressive, it, it, but it, it has is. to go a long it way. It's a very long string. Ha! Uh, <laughs> Series of tubes. Yes. <laughs> Hello, Brad. Hello, from 1929. Hello, from 1937. <laughs> See, there you go. That, that that sounds awesome. Yeah, and it's just—it's the simplest of special effects. It, 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 it was just your hands. Yeah, it's just a taste of what we actually sound like to each other as we're recording. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Um. So there is a goof in this when Teal uh-huh. and O'Neill are living over the mission in 1982. Some of the other soldiers are carrying M4A1 assault rifles with grenade launcher attachments, but. Yeah. Those assault rifles weren't made until 1994. Wow. Even though the mission is supposed to take place in 82. Well, I mean, that's kind of, that's only four years after, or sorry, four years before the episode was filmed. I mean, whatever. Like, you know, they were like, hey, let's go to the. Right. Um, but it's 12 years go to after the, the, this, the, the episode is. Yeah, no, to- I, what I'm saying is that uh, you would think that the person who was in charge of getting the weaponry in the costuming department would be aware, but not necessarily. Yeah. They, they went to the. They went to the to the bin. Yeah. They went to the bin labeled guns, and they were like, well, "This is a cool one." Yeah, let's use that one. Okay, okay. Uh, uh. We'll use these. It, it's probably radar's fault. Radar, radar, radar. Yeah. We haven't seen radar in a long Jim? time. Jim radar. What? Can't remember. We were talking about how we're going to know his first name before we know his last name. Yes. And I was saying that we're going to have to call him Jim. Oh, well, you can call him Jim, but it's not Jim. You can call me Ray. You can call me Jay. You can call me Ray, Jay. But don't call me sure. don't you call me late for dinner. All right. Oh, okay, fine. So, this uh, this week we're doing something new. What, uh, what are we doing new, Brent? What normally happens at this time is that uh, Zach reads the synopsis because Zach took the trouble to go to the Stargate Command Wiki, pull the thing, look at the thing, laugh at the thing, rewrite the thing, and then uh, he gets to read the thing because that's how that works. Yeah. But uh, last night... He sent me a text message. He's like, dude. Well, he didn't say it like this, but this is basically what he said. Dude. I'm like, yeah, dude. He's like, dude. I'm like, dude, what's up? He's like, dude, you need to do the synopsis. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that, dude. So uh, so I did the dude thing, and I was starting to go through the synopsis. I also texted him very shortly thereafter, like, is it always this bad? Because let me tell you, friends, it's bad. These synopses on Stargate Command, these things are trash. I'm sorry that you've had to go through all this stuff. I kept the first paragraph, and I will read it verbatim, just to share with you how bad it is, because I think it's funny. But the second part, and Zach, earlier before we started recording, I told you that I cheated. Yes. This is how I cheated. Yep. I got through about halfway of writing this thing, yep. rewriting this thing yep. from scratch, yep. because this thing is that bad. Yep. 
And I got to the part where I was like, okay, they, they said the name of the New York Museum a few times, and I thought it was the New York Museum of Art, but I didn't feel confident about that. So I was trying to find the name of it. Right. Within the construct of the show. And I'm, you know, I'll go back to the Stargate Command wiki and it's not there. And I kind of pop around the internet for a little bit and it's not there. And I go to the IMDb page and it's not there. And so I ask the Google internets, all right, if I say the words, the gamekeeper, New York Museum of, what do you got? And Google said, I've got something for you. I've got this thing called gateworld.net. And on gateworld.net, it's also what appears to be a bit of a wiki action. And I've got an episode synopsis for The Gamekeeper. And I'm like, sweet. And it said, the thing you're looking for is called the New York Museum of Art. I'm like, that's exactly what I thought. Let me read through. Oh, man. I said to myself, this is a lot better. <laughs> so so I, so I took the synopsis from gateworld.net. Uh, plopped it down and made just a couple of little tweaks here and there. But generally speaking, this thing I'm about to read is verbatim from that other wiki site, which is way better. Now, granted, it's a little light on the information compared to previous synopses, but it's not incomplete. And it's not. I mean, it it's good. It's good. I mean, at least I think it's good. I'll read it. You be the judge. But like I said, we're going to start with the opening paragraph from Stargate Command Wiki because it's just that bad. You ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Start! SG-1 visits a world and finds itself in a large, beautiful garden. And then they find out that all the people on the world are tied to some machines. Suddenly, all team members are captured by some empty machines. Afterwards, they are separated and find themselves in other places. Wow. That's it. That was the entire opening scene. It was in that paragraph right there. Yeah. It's trash. That, that, I'm so sorry you've had to go through this. This is ridiculous. you know I feel a little bit bad how you know because there there was a real person out there somewhere who wrote that down and thought totally. look at this masterpiece and you are ripping well, it to shreds. I don't know if they thought it was a masterpiece. Honestly, oh. I think that they thought that there was nothing and they made something and that was better than nothing. I suppose. But woof. Yeah. Okay. Oof. So All right, let's, let's do the it. real synopsis here, Brent. All right. Here we go. SG-1 travels through the Stargate to P... Oh, it is P-7J. Oh, whatever. All right, SG-1 travels through the Stargate to P-7J-989, a lush, beautiful garden paradise. But there is one thing here that is disturbing. The planet's inhabitants are unconscious, plugged into giant machines. SG-1 investigates these devices and are pulled against their will into a virtual reality world. Jack O'Neill and Teal find themselves alone in a wooded area. As they attempt to assess the situation, a vehicle drives up. Out steps two old friends and fellow soldiers, including Charles Kowalski, <gasps> who died more than a year ago after being infected by a ghoul. The other is John Michaels, the leader of this mission. O'Neill realizes that this event is from the past. This place is East Germany. The year is 1982. O'Neill is a captain, and the covert operation that is to take place on this day would result in the death of his friend, John. The men refer to Teal'c, who has curiously grown a full head of hair, as Thomas. Their mission is to infiltrate a small compound and grab a Russian agent, but back in 1982, there were snipers on the roof waiting for them. John was killed, and the mission was a failure. It was one of O'Neill's darkest hours. And now he is forced to relive it. 
O'Neill succeeds in removing the sniper from the roof. Well, actually, O'Neill doesn't. The other guy does. But whatever. O'Neill succeeds in alerting the team to the sniper on the roof, but fails to ultimately change the outcome as John is shot dead by gunmen hiding in a hedge. No! As he he and Teal'c flee the compound, they witness the same truck drive up the same road. John Michaels and Charles Kowalski step out again as if nothing had happened. O'Neill is forced to play out the scene again and again, trying to make it right. But each time, the rules seem to change. Though first the gunmen were hiding behind a hedge, the second time they were on the roof. O'Neill cannot win and witnesses his friend die over and over again. Captain Carter and Dr. Jackson find themselves at the New York Museum of Art on a cold day when Daniel's parents were crushed to death by the giant stone slab. Jackson tries many different methods to try and coax them out from underneath the rock before it falls, but each time fails. They only see him, they see him only as a child at the age he was when they died. Back with O'Neill and Jackson, they, or no, sorry, as O'Neill and Jackson become increasingly frustrated with their individual scenarios, a man arrives. He is the keeper and is delighted with his new guests. The keeper believes he has provided the men with a great gift. The ability to try different combinations, explore different possibilities, rather than spending their lives asking, is there anything I could have done differently? O'Neill and Jackson are horrified. They refuse to play, even if that means standing with their backs turned to the cries of their dying loved ones. The keeper finally ends it, brings the four team members back together, and he explains, long ago, 1,022 years to be exact, this planet they were on was destroyed by a chemical disaster. The inhabitants are sustained within the virtual reality world with nothing but their own thoughts and experiences to draw from. So the arrival of SG-1 provided four new minds filled with new experiences for the inhabitants to watch and to enjoy. They are, in essence, as Jackson says, new software for the machine. SG-1 demands to be released and... Finally, the alien spokesman consents. Eh, not really alien, was he? Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. All right. Finally, the keeper consents. They wake up from their VR machines and they quickly go back through the Stargate to Earth. It was a little too easy. General Hammond, though, is not quite acting right. During their debriefing, Hammond orders SG-1 to return to the planet and re-enter the VR world. He gives them an eloquent sales pitch for the machines. The team figures it out quickly. He isn't the real general. SG-1 is still inside the virtual reality world. Hammond does not respond well to O'Neill's insubordinate accusations, nor the tap on the head, and throws them into (laughs) an isolation cell under guard. One guard is Charles Kowalski. He reveals that their suspicions are correct, but tries to talk them into staying inside the machine voluntarily. SG-1 manages to break out of the cell and is immediately met by the cloaked figures of the planet's inhabitants. The team tells the people that the Keeper is deceiving them. In fact, their world has recovered from the disaster during their thousand years in virtual reality and is now a beautiful garden. SG-1 tracks the Keeper back through a strange doorway, leading them from the SGC back to the Garden Planet, and they're finally released from the machine. The Keeper pleads with them, claiming that he kept the people in the machine because he knew they would just ruin their world all over again. But it's too late. The damage is done. Not only have the people inside the virtual reality found the doors out, 
but they also know that there's nothing to fear outside any longer. The people are out and about, exploring the garden, so thoughtfully tended by the keeper, and picking his flowers. The end. The end. So, Zach. Yes? What'd you think? You know, Brent... Wow, this is weird, coming in from this end. <laughs> I have to say, um, A, I liked this episode. I thought it was a fun one. Uh, mm-hmm. I have to mention, though, that it wasn't four new minds that they had. They only had two minds because they couldn't read Teal'c's mind and they couldn't oh, yeah. read Carter's mm-hmm. mind because she had that interaction. Prob- they assume yep. that it was this interaction yep. that she had with Jolinar, which, by the way, great callback to two episodes ago. Yep. Um, uh, and... There was something else in there that I can't remember. Oh, and, and yeah. the, the, the the shrouded uh, uh, people of the planet actually started to uh, watch things, and they could see them in the virtual reality. Um, yes, as they're that going was missed. I, yeah, yep. Um, but I tell you, I like this episode. That said, there are a few things that I want to go, huh? Okay, yep. so let's presume for a minute that... Uh, these chairs that they were in actually locked them into place, which apparently okay. is so. Yes. Now, as we look at them, they are basically exposed to the environment around them. So there's uh-huh. no process for them to, well, say, procreate. Now, right. if they were a thousand years ago, yeah. how did these people survive for a thousand years? I mean, I can understand their brains, potentially, being around for a thousand years in some digital format. Okay, but their physical bodies are somewhere, and they come out, and they start yes. wandering around fine at the end. Yes. What? Yes. Yes. Oh, dude. I, I've, got, I've got so many things. I've got so many things. All right. Uh, I'm sure I will have more things as things go on, but let's flip this around, and I'll say, All right. so, Brent. Uh-huh. The gamekeeper. Uh-huh. What'd you think? I loved the good parts. And I hated the bad parts. <laughs> the good parts. <laughs> I really liked Dwight Schultz. And I really liked Dwight Schultz being Dwight Schultz. Like, he was delightful. The character was great. He was doing he was he was he was being his silly self yep. that he he lets show through with with many of the characters that I've seen him do, at least. Um and it was fun. It was fun. And, uh, you know, his acting is really good. He's a really good television actor. Yes, he is. Like, he really knows how to express, like, use his face to express things. It's it's great. It's really great. Um, also, uh, I had a rare moment where I actually literally laughed out loud watching Stargate, watching him run down the hall <laughs> with his hands up. Like, you know, like the little stately thing that he does. Like, just like running on the hole with his hands up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was great. I like that. I like that little touch that he did. I really like the set. I, you know, I was recognizing that they were in a, some kind of a conservatory, as you, as you had said earlier. Um, but still, like, it was luscious. It was beautiful. It, they, you know, the, the, the set pieces that they brought in, like, you know, the chairs and things were intriguing. And, you know, they did an okay job with some of those, uh, uh, special effects, you know, when the tentacles were getting them mm, and mm-hmm. get, you know, I could tell it was CG, but it wasn't that bad. It was pretty okay. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, like the budget that they have for uh, for this stuff is 
good and it shows and I like it. Um, and yeah, like the funny, the funny bits, there were, there were funny bits all over the place for being kind of a heavy, uh, episode. You know what? Stick a pin in that one. That's part of another reason why I didn't like some of the things, but so for as heavy of an episode as it was, there were plenty of moments that were humorous and those humorous moments were great. Right. At least I thought, um, you know, there was, there was, there was some levity in there that I thought was pretty I, I appreciated the spot where. Uh, you made mention of it, where where O'Neill comes to Hammond and starts poking around in his face and pulling on yes. his ears as he's looking yes. for the mask. <laughs> yes, it was great. It was. Yeah, I mean, was. that scene in particular was pretty good, right? Yeah, like Donis Davies. Dave, he keeps saying Davies. Donis Davis. Uh, he didn't really deviate from the character of General Hammond too much, but uh, you know, just enough, just enough. Yeah. Where there was a little bit of the keeper that was in him, um, it was good. It was really well done. They did a good job on that. So, now that I said my good parts, do you have any more good parts that you want to get out of the way before oh, I start? I'm sure I'll, I'll come up with some stuff. All right, uh, as we go on. Sure, I'll probably right, you know welcome. refute some of the things that you say because that's what I do. Mm, you sure? No, nope. because we're we're gonna come in. Nope. We're gonna come in hard and heavy here. Nope, I have here no we idea. go. Hit me up. This thing. Other than those charming points that I talked about, this thing was a train wreck, dude. This story <laughs> was so full of holes, it was ridiculous. And they they kind of even like tipped their hat at one of the holes when the SG-1 team uh, got out of their machines a little too easily. And of course, they were still in the virtual reality world. But even then, like... I mean, as soon as it was happening, I was re- I was looking at it through the lens of they're still in the virtual reality world. And, of course, it turned out to be true, which then immediately me- asked the question, at what point do they actually know whether or not they're in real life or not? Uh. Right? Like, now they are in a vicious cycle where it's going to be almost impossible for the outside world to prove that it is the outside world. A- at least without any other pieces of information. Just given the pieces of information we are given right now. These machines are able to replicate any event that happened in their memory with precise detail, which means that it's recalling aspects of their subconscious that remembers all the minutia, all the the details that are possible. But also it is able to create uh, possible uh, possible moments. So it it is able to create a, a, a fictional interaction in the SGC with General Hammond that was mostly plausible. Now, where it started to fall apart was that Hammond was advocating that they go back. That's where it started. If the keeper had decided to play it straight, like, you know, and now we're going to go on another adventure and we're going to go back to Chulak. I don't know, you know, like do whatever you want. Uh, Like there was a meaningful chance that the SG one team wouldn't have picked up that it was a, that it was a, a a simulation asterisk, but for the doors with the logos that we were later shown. Right. Okay, fine. Maybe, maybe that's already starting to fall apart, but as it was presented, it immediately created a conundrum of knowledge. How do you know what you're doing is actual reality versus the virtual reality? And they just zipped right over the top of that one. <laughs> just whoop. Like, don't worry about it, big guy. We're going to, we've got four minutes left of stelly t- storytelling. We're going to go through a door with a tornado logo on it and bingo, bango, you are out. And wouldn't you know it, you can trust that this is the real world because the people are also out picking flowers and the gamekeeper, gamekeeper is biting his knuckle. That's not sufficient. That's not that's not meaty. That's not a good explanation. That's a cop out. And so it felt like this story was kind of introducing some neato ideas and then just bailing, just bailing on them. Like yeah. uh and then another thing about it was that the the content, right? It, it was it, 
it made sense. The setup made sense. The setup was um, here are these people who uh, have these moments in their lives which are so powerfully traumatic that they are internally living them over and over inside their own head over and over and over again. Right. And uh, and this sufficiently advanced technology is able to figure out, ah, these are the moments that these people clearly want to do over because they are living them over and over again inside their head. So let's give them a do over. Yep. So I want to pause and just then, for a moment there yeah. as I was thinking, because as you're talking, it's like, you know, uh, I hadn't actually thought about this, but while this may have been a very nasty spot for O'Neill's ideas and thoughts and whatnot, yeah. his most dramatic moment is not his friend dying in 82. Totally. It's his son dying. Yes. That was the other thing. When I was writing up my own synopsis, I had a pithy remark uh, about how apparently this is the most traumatic point of his life, not the point where his son got a hold of his loaded service pistol. And then I said to myself, should I write that? That's kind of hard. <laughs> that's that's kind of mean. Yeah. But right? Like, you're totally right. You can't tell me with what we know about Jack O'Neill, that this is the moment that he lives over and over inside his head. Right. This isn't. I mean, this, this may is be not. a moment, yeah. but it's not the moment. It's not the moment. And so, you know, fine. For the sake of storytelling, let's just bounce over that one and let's pretend that he lives over this 1982 moment over and over again. But I'm right there with you. This is not this. This would not be the thing that he would return to. I mean, especially in comparison to Daniel Jackson's memory right. of his parents dying. Right. Like now that I buy. Like, I mean, you oh, know, if his parents died of, like that and he witnessed it. Oh, yeah. That's traumatizing. My, and. Kudos to Michael Shanks' acting. Like, yes. that was good. Yeah. He did a good job. Yeah. I think that he did a good job. It was believable. Like, it felt like he was getting torn up inside. Yeah. It was. And I liked Amanda like, Tapping's uh, work uh, off of him as, as mm-hmm. Carter was, was trying to, uh, you know, be there for him uh, emotionally while also trying to help him see that this isn't real but also recognizing that even if it's not real it's still real enough that it's just i like that interplay there yeah yeah no i mean like the good parts were good Mm -hmm. and i think that's why the bad parts are so frustrating i mean all right let's see what else did i have here bad part oh everything wrapped up too easily yeah like way too easily and go ahead one of the things that that i thought was rather convenient storytelling is, you know, they kind of walk through this garden and they see a uh, a module right there and they walk Mm -hmm. and they see another one right there and another one right there. And very conveniently, there are four in a row right next to each other. (laughs) Yes. All empty, ready to go. Everybody hits their marks and bam, Bam! sucked in. (laughs) Yeah. Which begs the question, who used to be in those? Right. I mean, Zach, you bring up a good point. I was originally thinking to myself, you know, oh, whatever, suspended animation, blah, blah, blah. But no, they walk in. I think the first two observations are they're human and they're breathing. I thought the first one was they're human. Maybe, maybe yeah. not, but whatever. They're yeah. alive. They're breathing. And, you know, when it was revealed that, you know, hey, it's actually they're in part of a big VR world. I was like, oh, sure. Yeah, whatever. They're, you know, Matrix. Hooray. Um, but you're right. Uh, they're breathing, meaning they're they have a metabolism thing going on that should be approaching normal, which 
right? Like, yeah, they should be dead. Yeah. They should be well, dead. If but they've been there dead. for a thousand years, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, again, it's like that. I mean, there was another plot hole, and I think that that one could have been avoided if they were just not human, right? Like if they were alien species, then we wouldn't have any. Mm. We wouldn't have any uh, point of uh, reference. If it were fish dudes, if it were a bunch of fish dudes, we wouldn't know. We'd be like, yeah, yeah. sure, thousand years. Like, That's okay, how live. fish That's dudes how live for a thousand plus years. Yeah. Um, so, all right. That, that makes that makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. My last uh, my last bad point was that uh, seriously that ending again. Dwight Schultz was being awesome. And was doing Dwight Schultzy things, and that last scene where he's biting his knuckle, right? Totally yep. in keeping. It was great, but seriously, I felt like there should have been a laugh track right then. Right? He's biting his knuckle, right? Like yeah. it was just, it was just like, Ugh. so you know, when the credits were rolling, I was my when the credits were rolling, so were my eyes. Hey oh, hey oh. <laughs> <laughs> Now, yep. one thing that I didn't realize until I was typing up the notes was that uh, the character that Dwight Schultz was portraying, I don't think right. he called himself the gamekeeper ever. Did he call himself the gamekeeper? He no, just he called just himself, called himself, the, himself keeper. the keeper. Mm-hmm. And when I was writing up the notes, I got to the part about the garden and everybody's running around picking his flowers. And I'm like, yeah, because, you know, the garden that the keeper was tending. And I'm like, like the garden keeper, the garden keeper. Do you think he was a garden keeper and somehow got a hold of uh, the ability to be a bit of a megalomaniac? And now he's mm. like, I am the keeper. And really, he should have been the gardener all this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that is giving uh, this script way more credit than it is due. <laughs> <laughs> which, that, so gets, that gets me back to why I was asking, which other teleplays did Jonathan Glasner write? Because... Okay. This one was a trash heap, and it felt like a rookie wrote this one. And so when I heard his name, I'm like, wait a minute. He's like a regular name. Is he only a regular name because of whatever? Is he always a co-writer? Is he always whatever? No. He wrote. No. So Broken Divides He's a little. He's a co-creator. Yeah. And Broken Divides a little, like, lame. I loved it, but, you know, it was a little lame. Um, In the Serpent's Grasp was not lame. Uh, What were the That's other true. two? Um, um he did the teleplay for Hathor. Oh, Hathor was lame. kind of lame. Yeah. Um within the Serpent's Grasp. Right. I mean, um, it's not bad. Generally speaking, And then of course he bad. co-wrote Children of the Gods. Oh, right. That was the first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. But he co-wrote it, so, you know. But yeah. but point is like 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 his his solo stuff is not necessarily trash. I mean, Broken Divide was a little silly. Hathor was silly. Uh, Within the Serpent's Grass was not silly. Um, right. And then this one was just, I, I like I said. I mean, it felt like it was. Well, maybe maybe it was an old, maybe it was an old script that he had written from a long time ago. <laughs> and he's like, this will do. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, anyway, okay, that's yeah. my rant. I'm done ranting. So- you know, I, actually, you made the point of, you know, how do they know whether or not they're actually still in the virtual reality world? And mm-hmm. and actually, as I was doing the show notes earlier this week, uh, somebody on IMDb or, or the Stargate Wiki, I don't remember exactly where it was, made mention of the same type of thing. There's not mm-hmm. really necessarily any evidence for certain that they're not in there. However, 
we know that this gamekeeper, whatever else he is, uh, is a little bit wacky. Yes. Um, we also know that he had a very difficult time even portraying the general for a short period of time before mm-hmm. it became obvious that it wasn't the general. And yeah. it wasn't simply that the general oh. was advocating that they go back. I see. I see. Right? Now, now, this is a little bit of a, you know, a post-retcon and all of that stuff, you know, my standard defense of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's still... So, uh, when they get out and he's like, don't pick the flowers, nah! Right. Um, you know, maybe even that is a little bit of... Uh, you know, hard to tell for sure, but the reality is that once they depart that, it's already been established that this is not a guy who is in charge of this virtual reality world that can hold on to it for any length of time without something else. And we don't see anything else after this point. So given that, we can safely assume that we are almost certainly out of the virtual reality. Is it a guarantee? Nope. But let's be honest. We're not 100% certain we're in a virtual reality right uh, now. That's, good. that's a good point. Yeah. Yes. The um, uh, That's fair. I would have preferred it be tighter. Uh, I would have preferred it to be more intellectually uh, tight. Like uh, a, 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 an argument uh, and, a, and, a, and a story arc that had some kind of hook that I could get my hands around to be like, gotcha, this is the signal that it's the VR world, this is the signal that it's the real world. Um, or, you know, the lack of the signal uh, strongly indicates that it's the real world, or something. Something right. like that. And I get what you're saying. Like, you know, it's very evident that this guy couldn't really hold on to it. Uh, and so that should be reason enough that we can trust that, you know, it, it, it ends and they are actually indeed in the real world. Yeah. Now, I, I agree with you that it would be nice if it had been a little bit uh, cleaner. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you can at least take what's actually there and make logical connections uh, within world and don't even have to bring out external world to make a strong assumption that they are safely out. Meh. Blech. Blech. <laughs> well. Meh. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Do you have anything else to add? Nope. I have nope. said my piece. All right. Well, I have uh, said my piece as well. And so this is the point of the podcast where I turn to Brent and say, Brent, mm-hmm. the gamekeeper, mm-hmm. out of seven chevrons, how many chevrons does it get? I liked the good stuff. I did not like the bad stuff. By definition, that makes me consistent. I <laughs> I don't know if that's true, Brent. Uh, that's fair. Um, I uh, yeah. The fun parts were fun. I liked the fun parts. I laughed at the funny parts. I enjoyed the fun parts. The bad parts were the Swiss hole, the Swiss cheese hole, whatever. Um <laughs> The bad parts were were tough and bad. I didn't like them. Uh, so overall, um, do I think that so this episode Brent, did you not like the bad parts? Yeah, right. I know. Um, okay. Do is do I think that this episode is skippable? No, I don't think it's skippable. 
Uh, I don't think that it's necessarily bringing an awful lot that advances the story, but you know, like I think that it's worth a person's time mostly because of Dwight Schultz, honestly. Um, so what do I give it? I give this one, uh, I'm going to give it a three, but boy, was I thinking about giving it a two just now, but I'll give it a three. All right. Brent gives it a three. Um, I think that they absolutely picked the right guest actor, Brent Schultz, for this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not convinced anybody else could have done it like uh, Dwight did it. Um, you're right. There are a lot of plot holes in it. And as we talk about it, I think about those plot holes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I have always been one to watch SG-1 where I just kind of sit on, ha- sit on the chair, hang on to the episode, and just go for the ride that it takes me on. Sure. Uh, but you're right. Um, <laughs> there are some weirdnesses about this episode. Uh, the things that are fun are actually fun, uh, but it's not a wondrous episode. So no. um, while you give it a three, reluctantly trying to think, eh, do I give it a two? Do I give it a three? I'll just give it a three. Yeah, nice solid three. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, I'll give it a three. Out of seven chevrons, three out of seven. So uh, we so it turns out we agree, but kind of coming at it from two different ends. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's that. You know, if we always had the exact same opinion on everything, it would be boring. It would be boring. All right, Brent. Mm-hmm. The next episode after the Gamekeeper in mm-hmm. season two of Stargate SG One mm-hmm. is called Need. Mm-hmm. What is need about? The SG-1 team travels through the gate and finds themselves in a strange world where people are walking around with smiles on their face. The sun is shining. The birds are tweeting. And, like on their phones, they're sending out tweets. Look at this bird seed, <laughs> LOL. And... But there's something strange in the air. They walk around and they feel themselves getting a little lightheaded. They collapse. They awake and find themselves in a strange room with a strange contraption emanating enormous amounts of heat. And there's a person there. She's standing there with an apron and a smile on her face. She says, I am the baker. And the SG-1 team says... What is your purpose here? She says, well, I need. And she sits there and she starts working the dough and she (laughs) puts it through there and she gets a little more flour and she works the dough a little more and she puts it down to proof. And then she comes back and she slices the top and she bakes it. Join us next week for a delightful food based episode of SG one need. How'd I do? Um, that's the wrong need. Oh, did that, somebody that get... That is K-N-E-A-D? Did somebody get uh, nailed in the junk with a knee? No, no, that would be K-N-E-E. Oh, because that was going to be the other one I was going to go with. But but this is just N-E-E-D. Oh, so, well, that's boring. Well, I'm not <laughs> arguing that. I'm just saying, you know, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see Martha Stewart on SG-1. <laughs> 
I didn't say good. I just said interesting. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> oh, okay. join so, us. Oh, by the way. Hey, by but, the way, I figured out why they're always talking about join Richard Dean Anderson in the next step. Blah, blah, blah. Richard Dean okay. Anderson is a, is a producer now. I don't know if he's always been. Has he always been? Oh, uh, he was definitely listed as a producer uh, of some kind. I don't know if it was executive or associate. I don't know what uh, a few episodes ago, which I noticed. And I said to myself, oh, if he's a consistent producer of the show right now, it makes a little bit of sense why he'd be like, you know what you guys need to do? You need to put my name in the promos all the time. And they're like, OK, you're paying for a lot of this. So you get it, sir. Well, uh, yes, I think. I think he is at least a producer or associate producer for much of the series. I'm yeah. not 100% certain on that. Um, but I think that actually these promos with starring Richard Dean Anderson, or Richard Dean Anderson is blah, 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 uh, has more to do with the fact that Richard Dean Anderson is in the late 90s. Uh, he has a name that people recognize. That's a good point. Way more than Christopher Judge and Amanda Tapping, and Dan, uh, 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 Michael Shanks. Uh, so. Boo! Yeah, I get it. Fine. Join Richard Dean Anderson as they go through the Stargate. I don't know, that's, I guess that's us. <laughs> Join Brent and Zach as they walk through the Stargate. I'm totally going to edit that out. Oh, yeah. Now people are like, what did he edit out? You're never going to know. <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't want to know. It, it's, no. it was it was. Oh. I made right, the so, worst joke. So so Brent, should we just continue on and uh, uh, watch the promo? I guess I need me? to. Yeah, you do need to. Hey! <laughs> All right, let's do this. All right, ready? Yeah, go. Next on Stargate, it's G One. She's got a job. What? Oh, it's a person. Stay away from the princess. Oh. A fairy tale rescue condemns SG-1 to slavery. Hi ho, hi ho. Back to work. Wait a minute, we were just on this boat. a happy ending after all. You're my destiny. Oh, what? Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. He's turning him against his friends. I've discovered something uh, incredible. You do know we're dying down here, don't you? To free SG-1. Daniel, get us out of here. Daniel must first free himself from a powerful Ooh. addiction. I have got everything under control, okay? The man who would be king. Richard Dean Anderson stars on Star This is cool! Awesome! I'm looking forward to that! Alright, well, Brent's looking forward to Need. And uh, I'm not going to say anything one way or the other. Uh, But uh, there it is. It's not anything about Martha Stewart or Baker's. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's a missed opportunity right there. Ah, uh, well, I, I apologize. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Uh, not much. Uh, this is once more, Brent, I'm going to have to make a plead to our audience out there to help me find the teasers and the promos for up for season three following. I have them all the way through the end of season two, and I can't find them beyond that. I need your help. Uh, if you have them, if you can find them, if you uh, know where I can go to get them, uh, please let me know, um, because you know, I want it. I have another idea. So we were talking about how we could just still like try to figure them out, but it, would be, it wouldn't be that fun. Maybe it would be kind of cool if people wrote up um, uh, guest teasers. 
Ooh. Right. So, you know, we do the episode title. I go off on a completely ridiculous pun-based uh, adventure. And uh, what ends up happening is that, uh, you know, then you pull out a, a, a well-written or maybe even poorly written. I don't know. Um, a written. A written uh, <laughs> a teaser, which is not a synopsis. It's, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's written as if it were the teaser. And, yeah. uh, and we use that. Ooh. That that sounds that's like sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds like something that would be a great way to incorporate the talents and skills of our listeners. Our in very the talented, podcast. skillful t- listeners, absolutely. So, um, that's a great idea too. So, if you want to participate, <laughs> uh, send them in. Yeah, and, uh, send us your your teasers for for uh, season three, I mean, episode heck, even, one. You can st- start with you know season three or season two even where mm, we're at mm-hmm. uh we could make it work uh so totally. that's something that sounds interesting uh by all means and if we get people who are actually doing this and and liking this then i'll probably have to create some sort of google doc so people know what's being produced and what i have and so people don't double up too much because you know that's, that's how it works but I think that's a great idea, Brent, if it's we can scour the dark web for these promos. <laughs> Good. I don't have to pay some Russian mobster seven Bitcoin for a, a, pre, a promo. That would yeah, be very expensive. Because nobody wants to, to, to spend Bitcoin. I'm glaring at you. I'm glaring at you through the mic right now. Uh, <sighs> you know what? I am impervious to your glare. <laughs> I got mad skills. He's got mad skills. All right. Well, do you have anything else for us, Brent? Nope. I got nothing. All right. Well, then, folks, tell us what you think. Uh, Tell us what you think about uh, the Gamekeeper. Tell us what you think about this crazy new idea that Brent has. I think it's cool. It needs your help. See what I did there? Need. Hey, it needs your help. Indeed. So tell us what you think. Email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's W A L K I N G T H R U G H T H E S T A R G A T E at Woof. gmail.com. Woof. Woof. Didn't stumble on that one. Nope. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Talk to us there. Find us on the Facebooks at uh, walking through the Stargate, both of our page, like us, follow us, uh, mm-hmm. find the group, the Facebook group, Walking Through the Stargate. Join us, join the conversation, have fun. This is a great opportunity for you to be geeky and silly and goofy with yep. us and yep. with other people who love being silly and go- geeky and goofy and about gooky. Stargate yeah. uh-huh. SG One. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. Sure. I was just going to go right over that and pretend nah. it didn't happen. No. No. Point it out. All right. So, with all of that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through, through the Stargate. See you next time. <laughs> See you. Bye. Bye bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.